This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, Toronto, Ontario, January 2007. The Rosary by Florence L. Barclay. Chapter 31 in lighter vein. Dinner that evening, the first at their small round table, was a great success. Nurse Rosemary's plans all worked well, and Garth delighted in arrangements which made him feel less helpless. The strain of the afternoon brought its reaction of merriment. A little judicious questioning drew forth further stories of the Duchess and her pets, and Miss Champion's name came in with a frequency which they both enjoyed. It was a curious experience for Jane, to hear herself described in Garth's vivid word-painting. Until that fatal evening at Shenstone, she had been remarkably free from self-consciousness, and she had no idea that she had a way of looking straight into people's eyes when she talked to them, and that that was what muddled up the silly little minds of women who say they are afraid of her, and that she makes them nervous. You see, she looks right into their shallow, shuffling little souls, full of conceited thoughts about themselves, and nasty, ill-natured thoughts about her, and no wonder they grow panic-stricken and flee, and talk of her as that formidable Miss Champion. I never found her formidable, but when I had the chance of a real talk with her, I used to be thankful I had nothing of which to be ashamed. Those clear eyes touched bottom every time, as our kindred over the water so expressively put it. Neither had Jane any idea that she always talked with a poker, if possible, building up the fire while she built up her own argument, or attacking it vigorously while she demolished her opponents, that she stirred the fire with her toe, but her very smart boots never seemed any the worse, that when pondering a difficult problem she usually stood holding her chin in her right hand until she had found the solution. All these small characteristics Garth described with vivid touch, and dwelt upon with the tenacity of remembrance, which astonished Jane, and revealed him, in his relation to herself three years before, in a new light. His love for her had been so suddenly disclosed, and had at once had to be considered as a thing to be either accepted or put away, so that when she decided to put it away, it seemed not to have had time to become in any sense part of her life. She had viewed it, realized all it might have meant, and put it from her. But now she understood how different it had been for Garth. During the week which preceded his declaration, he had realized, to the full, the meaning of their growing intimacy, and, as his certainty increased, he had more and more woven her into his life, his vivid imagination causing her to appear as his beloved from the first, loved and wanted, when as yet they were merely acquaintances, kindred spirits, friends. To find herself thus shrined in his heart and memory was infinitely touching to Jane, and seemed to promise, with sweet certainty, that it would not be difficult to come home there to abide, when once all barriers between them were removed. After dinner Garth sat long at the piano, filling the room with harmony. Once or twice the theme of the rosary crept in, and Jane listened anxiously for its development, but almost immediately it gave way to something else— it seemed rather to haunt the other melodies than to be actually there itself. When Garth left the piano, 
and guided by the purple cord, reached his chair, Nurse Rosemary said gently, "'Mr. Dalmain, can you spare me for a few days at the end of this week?' "'Oh, why?' said Garth. "'To go where, and for how long? "'I know I ought to say, certainly delighted, after all your goodness to me. "'You don't know what life was without you when you weekended. "'That weekend seemed months, even though Brand was here. "'It is your own fault for making yourself so indispensable.' Nurse Rosemary smiled. "'I dare say I shall not be away for long,' she said. "'That is, if you want me, I can return. "'But, Mr. Dalmain, I intend to-night to write that letter of which I told you. "'I shall post it to-morrow. "'I must follow it up almost immediately. "'I must be with him when he receives it, or soon afterwards. "'I think, I hope, he will want me at once. "'This is Monday. "'May I go on Thursday?' Poor Garth looked blankly dismayed. "'Do nurses, as a rule, leave their patients, "'and rush off to their young men "'in order to find out how they have liked their letters?' "'He inquired in mock protest. "'Not as a rule, sir,' replied Nurse Rosemary demurely. "'But this is an exceptional case. "'I shall wire to Brand. "'He will send you a more efficient and more dependable person.' "'Oh, you wicked little thing!' cried Garth. "'If Miss Champion were here, she would shake you. "'You know perfectly well that nobody could fill your place.' "'It is good of you to say so, sir,' replied Nurse Rosemary meekly. "'And is Miss Champion much addicted to shaking people?' "'Don't call me sir. "'Yes, when people are tiresome, she often says she would like to shake them, "'and one has a mental vision of how their teeth would chatter. "'There is a certain little lady of our acquaintance, "'whom we always call Mrs. Do-and-Don't. "'She isn't in our set, but she calls upon it, "'and sometimes it asks her to lunch, for fun.' "'If you inquire whether she likes a thing, she says, "'Well, I do, and I don't. "'If you ask whether she is going to a certain function, she says, "'Well, I am, and I'm not. "'And if you send her a note, imploring a straight answer to a direct question, "'the answer comes back, "'Yes and no. "'Miss Champion used to say she would like to take her up by the scruff of her feather boa "'and shake her, asking at intervals, "'Shall I stop?' "'So as to ring for Mrs. Do-and-Don't, a definite affirmative, for once.' "'Could Miss Champion carry out such a threat? "'Is she a very massive person?' "'Well, she could, you know, but she wouldn't. "'She is most awfully kind, even to little freaks she laughs at. "'No, she isn't massive. "'That word does not describe her at all. "'But she is large and very finely developed. "'Do you know the Venus of Milo?' "'Yes, in the Louvre. "'I am glad you know Paris. "'Well, just imagine the Venus of Milo in a tailor-made coat and skirt, "'and you have Miss Champion.' Nurse Rosemary laughed hysterically. Either the Venus of Milo or Miss Champion, or this combination of both, proved too much for her. Little Dicky Brand summoned up Mrs. Doendone rather well, pursued Garth. She was calling at Wimpole Street on Lady Brand's at-home day, and Dicky stood talking to me in his black velvets and white waistcoat, a miniature edition of Sir Derek. He indicated Mrs. Doendone on a distant lounge and remarked, "'That lady never knows. She always thinks. "'I asked her if her little girl might come to my party, and she said, "'I think so. Now if she had asked me if I was coming to her party, "'I should have said, "'Thank you, I am. "'It is very trying when people only think about important things, "'such as little girls and parties, because their thinking never amounts to much. "'It does not so much matter what they think about other things, "'the weather, for instance, because that all happens, whether they think or not. Mummy asked that lady whether it was raining when she got here, and she said, I think not. 
I can't imagine why Mummy always wants to know what her friends think about the weather. I have heard her ask seven ladies this afternoon whether it is raining. Now if Father or I wanted to know whether it was raining, we should just step over to the window and look out, and then come back and go do with really interesting conversation. But Mummy asks them whether it is raining, or whether they think it has been raining, or is going to rain, and when they have told her, she hurries away and asks somebody else. I asked the thinking lady in the feather thing whether she knew who the father and mother were of the young lady whom Cain married, and she said, Well, I do, and I don't. I said, If you do, perhaps you will tell me, and if you don't, perhaps you would like to take my hand, and we will walk over together and ask the bishop, the one with the thin legs and the gold cross talking to mummy. But she thought she had to go quite in a hurry, so I saw her off, and then asked the bishop alone. Bishops are most satisfactory kind of people, because they are quite sure about everything, and you feel safe in quoting them to nurse. Nurse told Marsden that this one is in sheep's clothing, because he wears a gold cross. I saw the cross, but I saw no sheep's clothing. I was looking out for the kind of woolly thing our new curate wears on his back in church. Should you call that sheep's clothing? I asked father, and he said, No, bunny skin. And mother seemed as shocked as if father and I had spoken in church, instead of just as we came out. And she said, It is a B.A. hood. Possibly she thinks Ba is spelt with only one A. Anyway, father and I felt it best to let the subject drop. Nurse Rosemary laughed. How exactly like Dicky, she said. I could hear his grave little voice, and almost see him pull down his small waistcoat. "'Why, do you know the little chap?' asked Garth. "'Yes,' replied Nurse Rosemary. "'I have stayed with them. "'Talking to Dickie is an education, "'and Baby Blossom is a sweet romp. "'Here comes Simpson. "'How quickly the evening has flown. "'Then may I be off on Thursday?' "'I am helpless,' said Garth. "'I cannot say no, but suppose you do not come back? "'Then you can wire to Dr. Brand.' "'I believe you want to leave me,' said Garth reproachfully. "'I do?' "'And I don't,' laughed Nurse Rosemary, and fled from his outstretched hands. "'When Jane had locked the letter-bag earlier that evening, and handed it to Simpson, "'she had slipped in two letters of her own. "'One was addressed to Georgina, Duchess of Meldrum, Portland Place. "'The other to Sir Derek Brand, Wimpole Street. "'Both were marked, urgent. "'If absent, forward immediately.'" End of chapter 31